We are in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. If you're new, welcome. My name's Evan, uh, my wife Sandy and I, and you saw Leah and Drew and Jake and Matt. We uh, have the joy, area. we have the joy of leading this church as a team. We are in 1 Corinthians 14. So today and next Sunday is a two-part teaching. On, you ready for it? On speaking in tongues and prophecy. You're here for this, right? This is where Paul goes in the text. And so the goal for part one is to really catch Jesus's vision, really, for chasing after the things of the Spirit in our gatherings. There's so much that the Spirit wants to do here, all for the purpose of loving God and others well. That's the purpose and strengthening the church. And so the goal of, it, of today, part one, is to realize regardless of your faith tradition or your background, Park Hill, this church, is committed to both word and spirit, both rooted in the scriptures and also chasing after all the miraculous stuff the Holy Spirit does in the scriptures. Because according to Paul, it all belongs. Big point today, it all belongs. And this will set us up for part two next week. So in part two, we're gonna get down from 10,000 feet all the way to six feet. And we're gonna walk through the chapter and ask practically, what does it look like? Like, should like tongues and prophecy be happening? Like here on the promenade or in our communities, prayer nights, my own private time with God? Like, where does that happen? This is where Paul goes in chapter 14, 40 verses next week. We're gonna work through the whole thing about how to practice this stuff as a church. So that's next week. So today, again, big picture vision, because church gatherings, I don't know if you've noticed, but church gatherings in 2021 have, have kind of changed how they look. Uh, in America, we're in a transition time as the church. More people than ever are gathering in homes or through online formats. If that's you, welcome. Uh, it's awesome to be able to gather in this way. And they're gathering in those ways instead of in buildings owned by church, which is actually fine. In fact, Paul's writing this letter to what's probably a small network of house churches in the ancient city of Corinth. Ben Witherington, a New Testament scholar, he envisions 50 to 60 people per house ever at a time, max. So in a network of these churches throughout a city. So think of 1 Corinthians, this letter, as the teaching for the whole church that would circulate these house churches. And they would discuss and pray around the teaching a lot like Park Hill does in our communities. So, uh, and together they, not only that, but they would chase after powerful encounters of the Holy Spirit so that they would become more loving as children of God. So that's what we're after, you guys, for the sake of love and building up the church. This is Paul's main idea here. And he states his main idea three times in three in the beginning, end, and middle of this chapter. That's gonna be our framework. Uh, so before I read those verses, I wanna say this, you guys. I love how diverse and eclectic Park Hill Church is. Catholic, Protestant, churched, unchurched, de-churched, you're all here. Like, and it's beautiful. We're all over the map, united around Jesus. And because of this, when I mention tongues and prophecy and speaking in tongues, chances are there's a spectrum of reactions in, in this church right now as I say that. Some of you might come from a more spiritually conservative background. 
which can be cautious of emotional manipulation and overhyped spiritual experiences, and rightfully so. We want to be aware of being manipulated for sure. But unfortunately, in practice, this more conservative side often ends up avoiding a lot of the physical worshipful responses we see in Psalms, like dancing and shouting and falling face down and lifting hands and even loud symbols are in the Bible. And this also ends up avoiding most of the spiritual experiences Paul talks about in the New Testament, prophecy, healing, faith, miracles, tongues, interpreting tongues, and the list goes on. And this often ends up avoiding anything that might indicate God works spontaneously by his spirit to pour out God's love in our hearts to make us cry, Abba, Father. Instead, it's like, well, the Holy Spirit mainly shows up to empower the preacher and help people obey the Bible. But now Evan's about to talk about spontaneous Holy Spirit stuff like tongues. So I feel uncomfortable. I don't know what's about to happen. Where's Park Hill headed? And, and that's, I get that totally. That's a, that's a spiritually conservative kind of background. And others of you may come from a more charismatic background where it's common to avoid things that feel too religious, right? Like reciting creeds and set prayers and corporate confession and saying benedictions at the end and sometimes even communion. So it's like nothing too ritual, nothing too formal because that's not spontaneous, which means it's less authentic and probably less spiritual, therefore. And, and in this tribe, which I'm actually from, it's like, man, the Holy Spirit showed up today because the preacher just went off script and it felt awesome. And people's hands lifted during worship at that bridge. And, and spontaneous is basically a synonym for spirit-led because, you know, you can't plan to receive a prophetic word from God. You just got to be ready when the fire comes. And, and, and if that's you, then you're like two parts on tongues here for it. Like I'm in. And then there's some of you that are new to church and you're here and you're like, okay, tongues, prophecy, don't know what the heck we're talking about, but it's in Paul. I'm down. Let's do it. Whatever. I don't know. No baggage. I'm just in. Wherever you are on that spectrum, Paul has huge, encouraging, comforting, true words for you. It all belongs. It all belongs. This is Paul's main point. Strong Bible belongs with powerful experiences of the Spirit. Speaking in tongues, whatever that means, we're going to define it next week. It belongs with reading the church fathers. Liturgy and rhythms and weekly communion belongs with expecting the Spirit to manifest in surprising and disarming ways. All for building up the church. It all belongs, you guys. This is what we are chasing after. Park Hill Church. This is the reality Paul wants us to pursue. And this is his main idea. He says it three times in this chapter. So we're going to read it now. So if you open to 1 Corinthians 14, this is going to be our guiding framework for these couple of weeks and hopefully set us up for a life in the Spirit together. So verse one, he says it this way. Follow the way of love and eagerly desire gifts of the Spirit, especially prophecy, okay? Follow the way, eagerly desire, got it? Now verse 12, here's the middle verse. Since you are eager for the gifts of the Spirit, try to excel in those that build up the church. 
Okay, I, I'm sensing a theme. Now, now the last verses, 39 and 40. He says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, be eager to prophesy and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But everything should be done in a fitting and orderly way. Okay. Hopefully you get the drift. Paul's like, crave this stuff. Eagerly desire the full experience of the Spirit, you guys, because it all belongs. I remember when this struck me. This reality, it worked its way into my soul at a deeper level. Eight years ago, it was one of those breakthrough moments in my walk with God. I was a pastor in Portland around 2013, and, and me and, and the leaders there, we were hungry for the Spirit to move. We looked around at America and we're like, why are we so divided about this stuff? Like eagerly desire the full experience of the Spirit. Why do we like divide it up and debate over it and gather up in tribes around different expressions of it? What is that? Here in America, uniquely, it seems you're either really super strong on Bible and theology and getting your doctrine just right, and you're weak in the manifestations of the Spirit, or you're strong in expecting the Spirit to move in expressive worship and dancing and manifestation of the Spirit, and you're, but you're weak in, relatively in biblical depth and historic orthodoxy. Why? What's this division? We wanted to do church with charismatics and hermeneutics, like both. We wanted word and spirit renewal. So we traveled to the UK, like you do, and uh, we, we, we went to, to England. Why? Well, we realized that there's something in the water over there. At least in our generation, there's something there. God's been moving powerfully through the Anglican charismatic renewal movement. There are men and women with theology degrees from Oxford, brilliant Bible scholars who were seeing spirit-empowered healings and prophecy as normal parts of their Sunday gatherings. And not just random hypey things, but like long-term fruit, the modern worship movement, the way worship is experienced in church over the last 20 years can be directly tied to the way it was birthed in England in this way. And, and the Alpha Course, if you've heard of the Alpha Course, millions of people have come to Christ through the Alpha Course that was birthed out of one church that was praying in the Spirit. And then 24-7 prayer, which is an amazing global movement of prayer. That's just to name a few of these long-term fruits that came from this balance of word and spirit. And so we went to England for the sole purpose of meeting these leaders and asking them, how do you do it? How do you bring them together? Both a high view of Bible and a normal expectation and practice of the spirit moving in power. And I'll never forget sitting with Pete Gregg, this unassuming Brit with messy hair, just totally, you wouldn't know, he's like this fiery prophet who's begun global prayer movements. He's just sitting there at the pub. And he started 24-7 prayer 20 years ago, which has now touched over 2 million people in over 10,000 churches in most denominations that exist in over half the nations on earth. And Pete, this guy, he, he sits across the table listening to us. We're like, how do you do it? How do you balance? Like, bring together Bible and Holy Spirit and do it in church. How and I'll never forget his response. He just kind of sat there at the table and just kind of smirked and shook his head with a smile, not condescendingly. And he just looked at us and he was like, you guys have to stop the dumb either or stuff. 
Stop that thinking with you. <laughs> Complaining about the either or, that's not Jesus. Jesus just does it all. He's like, Jesus just does it all. It's all Jesus. And he just had this, his eyes just came alive. He's like, it's all Jesus. That's when it really hit me. It all belongs, you guys. Desiring the whole Jesus, following the way of love, it means eagerly desiring all the things of the Spirit so the whole church can grow in our capacity to love, love God and love people. It all belongs, you guys. And so from getting to know a lot of you over the last several years, I realized this church, it's an eclectic mix. And that's actually really good. That's a really good thing. It means we get to practice Paul's main point, which is to love and give one another grace as we chase after the spirit here at Park Hill in your communities and in the gathering. We get to submit to each other and listen well to our experiences, whether you've had bad experiences around the Holy Spirit or amazing ones whether it's encouraging each other to experience more tongues and prophecy, or maybe it's giving one another space to heal from past spiritual abuse around this conversation. Through it all, the goal is to mature as God's people of love, flourishing in our relationships with God and people. So we're gonna get into the six foot, the weeds next week the specifics, like what tongues and prophecy are, how they function. But the main thing we need to know today, here it is. If Paul says tongues and prophecy are gifts from a good God, then we already know something vital about them. Regardless of your gut reaction or what you instinctively think about tongues and prophecy or whatever your past experiences were, this means we know that they will always be very good. If that's all we walk away with today, we're in good shape. The way the Spirit shows up, it's always very good. It's mixed up with messy people for sure. But the gift of the Spirit is a very good thing. Why? Because it comes from a very good God. At least we know that. If that's all we walk away with, we're in excellent shape for next week and years to come. That's why Paul says, verse one, this is why he can say, follow the way of love and eagerly desire this stuff. Eagerly, do you eagerly desire this? For Paul, the way of love is parallel to eagerly desiring. That's the same thing because they flow from God's good heart and he wants to reveal his love to you and through you to others. So for today, here's two observations. Two observations and then we'll end. Number one, in these three verses, in these main verses about spiritual gifts, you've heard that term, spiritual gifts, it's important to remember the word gifts is not in the original text. Hear me? The word gifts is not in the original text. Just like 1 Corinthians 12, 1, here in chapter 14, verse 1, and then verse 12, Paul does not use the Greek word for gifts. Now, why is this important? A more accurate wording for us would be Eagerly desire, not spiritual gifts, but eagerly desire the spiritualities, <laughs> the spiritual stuff. My favorite way of saying it is the stuff the Spirit does. Don't get me wrong. There's no problem with our Bibles. Our problem is with us. <laughs> the way we use the term spiritual gifts has been sabotaged by pop Christianity. 
Have you ever seen those spiritual gifts tests online or whatever? Like in an age where you can go online and get your spiritual gift test through an algorithm, unfortunately, what that has created is that when people talk about spiritual gifts, they don't automatically think of all the stuff the spirit is leaning in, desiring to do. They think instead like Spider-Man mutant powers from Jesus, like tongues, prophecy, I have that. And it's like latent in you and then you need like a zap and it comes alive and you have the power. That is a foreign idea for Paul. That's not here. He's not talking about spiritual gifts in the sense of superpowers you do or do not have, okay? So, so don't think, when we, when we do this, don't think in terms of, I have the gift of tongues or I don't have the gift of tongues or I have the gift of prophecy or yeah, you know, I just don't have that gift. Don't think that way. That's alien thinking for Paul and it's nowhere in the Bible. For Paul, the Holy Spirit is the gift, and then the gifts of the Spirit or the stuff the Spirit does, they happen however, wherever, through whomever the heck he wants to grow our capacity for love, to grow us in our love for God and people. He wants this and he wants us to want this. So as we think about this for the next two weeks, here's, here's part of the call, you guys. Trust. Paul's calling us to trust. Trust the Spirit. Trust what he wants to do in you and through you when you gather, when you're with God's people. So, you know, to, if you've come from the more spiritually conservative side or you've had maybe bad experiences or no experience with the Spirit, then Jesus is inviting you to fresh trust in a good God who loves to give his presence to those who ask. And if you've come from the more charismatic side and you grew up with a ton of this all around you, or maybe you received the gift of tongues as a teenager and you spoke in tongues in high school camp or whatever, and, and maybe you used to pray in tongues more and, and you're wondering, what was that? And like, should I keep doing that? <laughs> Is it real when I do it? Is there stuff God wants me to unlearn or relearn about the Holy Spirit? Then Jesus' invitation for you is the same fresh trust in the scriptures to reveal God's heart on this stuff. Fresh trust. Because if there's anything we can say about God, it's that he can be trusted. God can be trusted. He doesn't give spiritual superpowers to certain people so that some are greater than and less than. He gives his Holy Spirit to everyone who asks, and then the Spirit does whatever the heck he wants, all for the sake of love. And he can be trusted. God can be trusted. That's the first observation, all there, okay? Here's the second observation before we end. And this one's, this one's both beautiful and heavy. According to Paul, remember what we've said already in our three verses, a church that is truly pursuing love is a church that's actively chasing the stuff the Holy Spirit does, not just the stuff that makes us feel comfortable right? But all of it. Like a friend of mine says, the awesome is in the awkward, <laughs> all for the sake of love. That's the goal. Like I said earlier, you guys, we didn't define tongues. It's like, you're still sitting here like, what is tongues? You haven't said what it is and what is prophecy. That's next week. That, that's intentional. We're not defining it today. We don't even need to worry about that. 
You do not need to perfectly understand the nature of tongues and prophecy in order to believe God when he says these are very good things that you should desire. We can be trusted. God can be trusted. So as children of God who is love, we believe experiencing the fullness of his activity makes us richer and stronger and more loving. So here's, here's what that means. Guess what it means? It means marginalizing a particular spiritual experience just because it doesn't fit our tradition or denomination. That's not an option for us. We're called to fight the impulse to ignore the parts of God that make us uncomfortable. because every part of God is good. Instead, we encourage one another to keep reaching for everything the Spirit wants to do in this church. Paul calls that the way of love. And as soon as I say that, here's the heavy part, guys. As soon as I say that, I have to acknowledge the reality of spiritual trauma. A big reason why we resist experiencing God is often because of abuse we've associated with God, but it was really because of a bad representation of God from our past. And the first thing I want to say to that, if that's you, and this teaching has all just layers of triggers because of trauma from spiritual abuse in your life, the first thing I want to say to you is I'm so sorry speaking as a leader of this church and on behalf of the leaders, I'm so sorry that you experienced a poor, maybe even toxic or damaging representation of God from a sinful leader that left a bad taste in your mouth for the good things God wants for you. And the second thing I want to say right, right off that, your wounds are real and that needs to be acknowledged and given space to process and heal and be confessed in a context of trust and vulnerability and kindness. This is what our communities are supposed to be. Firing on all cylinders with the presence of God, our communities are called to be these little contexts of trust, vulnerability, kindness. This is how we reconstruct healthy faith. I'm excited for May and June together. We're gonna to talk through what it means to, to pray in different ways. And we're gonna talk about praying through deconstruction. And the only way we can reconstruct a healthy faith and a healthy view of God is in this kind of community of trust, vulnerability, and kindness. A place where we really give one another space to flex those trust muscles, to trust God, trust the church, because God loves the church. He gave his life for the church so the church can become the place of healing. It's a cruel irony when the place of healing is represented to you and viewed by you as a place of damage. This is what all the Holy Spirit stuff is for. You guys, the gift of the Spirit is for healing and forgiveness and prophetic encouragement and intimacy and it's just so <laughs> twisted that those are the very things we would view with fear. God wants us to trust him. We're called to fight the impulse to resist God's presence and run to him as the loving father that he is. What does this look like? What does it look like to run to God? Even if we're feeling an impulse away from him. For some, this means confessing sin straight up, you guys. Straight up confessing sin. 
behavior that is out of alignment with the way of Jesus. We confess in community and receive forgiveness. And for others, running back to God, it can mean confessing sin done to you, experiences of abuse, and receive healing. You receive forgiveness for what you've done and you receive healing for what's been done to you. This is 1 John 1, 9. If you confess sin, God is faithful to forgive and cleanse both. We confess for forgiveness and cleansing, both what we've done and what's been done to us. So before we can do any of this, before we like read this and live into what the Spirit wants, some of us may need to acknowledge spiritual trauma that we've experienced through a past event or disillusionment at a failed leader. I know this last year has been challenging for many leaders because all of our super leaders, a lot of them have failed in the last year in the news in big ways. And it's, it can be disillusioning. I speak from experience when I say this, maybe the Holy Spirit isn't as close to us as we want because in our reaction to abuse, we've kept him at a safe distance. Darby Strickland is a counselor and spiritual abuse expert. She speaks into this. She lists four characteristic symptoms of spiritual abuse in your life. Number one, mistrust of scripture as good and edifying because scripture has been used to dominate and isolate. Number two, decreased prayer life. You no longer bring your authentic self to God. Instead, God remains silent and distant during times of pain. Since questioning spiritually abusive leadership was made equal to questioning God, now neither leaders nor God are trustworthy or approachable, so your prayer life goes away. Number three, mistrust of leaders, especially strong personalities. And number four, mistrust of community, experienced as fear, shame, or guilt around people you should be close to. Do any of these symptoms resonate with you? Number three continues to resonate with me, mistrust of leaders, especially strong leaders. I immediately default to cynicism and there's probably something going on behind the scenes. That's something I have to stay on top of through relationships with older, wiser mentors. If any of these resonate with you, then listen, God desires nothing more than to lead you to healing and prove his goodness to you through confession and truth, truth telling. Let the truth set you free today. Before we can talk about tongues and prophecy next Sunday and lifting our hands and behaving in ways we haven't in years, before we can talk about opening our hearts and our community to the practice of the Holy Spirit, the invitation today is to open up to God and let him heal you. God is trustworthy. He can be trusted. So whether it was a wrong emphasis on spiritual gifts or some other experience, and now for whatever reason, you don't eagerly desire this. You're like, Paul says it three times, eagerly desire, no thanks. Like, I'm not that, I'm not there. If that's you, yeah, I get it. All the Spirit wants to do, uh, listen, God sees you. That's what I want to say to that, is that God sees that. He sees that. God sees the, the fear, the hesitation, the sense of insufficiency and doubt. And he's like, I have so much for you. So much for you to encounter so many benefits and life-giving relationships to enjoy in the church. And God's like, I can't wait for you to get after it and crave it and practice the things of the spirit. But right now, God's like, my invitation, start from ground zero with me. 
It's a beautiful place. It's a place none of us really should leave. Start from ground zero as God's loved child. Today, his loved daughter, his loved son, who he's so proud of, who he takes delight in. And God wants you to know him as father, first and foremost. He's your father. And you can ask, and he delights in giving his presence to whoever asks. He delights in that. He listens and he responds. God is a God who responds in real time. And he moves toward you and he waits for you to turn around and move toward him. There's a reciprocal interaction that he is after with you. There's something about God that wants you to seek him. Something in him wants you to turn around and and pray and knock on the door. Like you get away somewhere, you wake up early or you cry out and raise your voice and lift your hands when you're on that hike by yourself and you just laugh at how beautiful the hills are and you thank him and you ask for more of his presence in your life. God wants that. God invites that. There's something about that back and forth that God is after. Do you eagerly desire it? Do you eagerly desire everything the Spirit does? If so, amazing. I'm right there with you. We're going to go there together as a church. Can't wait for next week. But if you're hearing about spiritual gifts and tongues and prophecy and manifestations and you're not so sure, maybe mistrust of scripture or leaders or community, mistrust of prayer itself, because you've been let down or whatever, then listen, the invitation is for you to start from ground zero and let Jesus rebuild your view of God. Do you know what Jesus' first mass invite was? It was before the Great Commission. It was before going to all the world. Everybody go preach the gospel and teach and heal. It was before all that. Jesus' first mass invite went out to weary, burdened people. Spiritually burdened, spiritually weary people. I'm going to read it right now. Matthew 11, 28 through 30, as we close. Are you tired? Worn out? Burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or unfitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. How does that sound? That's the invitation. It will always be the invitation. It's to be with Jesus. That's the first line of our church vision. Be with Jesus. And let Jesus lift your guilt, not shame you. Jesus doesn't threaten us. He doesn't oppress us. Jesus bears our burdens with us. By his own choice, you guys, by his own delight, Jesus woos us to himself and shows us how good he is. The wounded and weak were always drawn to Jesus because he affirmed their personhood. Jesus affirms your personhood. If you've been unheard, you know who you are. If you've been unheard, Jesus listens to you. He's on the edge of his seat for you. If you've been misunderstood, 
Jesus empathizes with you. The most misunderstood human in history empathizes with you. If you've been overlooked, Jesus advocates for you in the throne room of heaven. So we're going to come to the table now. The bread and the cup, the body and blood of Jesus who stands for you and stands with you. This is the way the family gets to see God clearly right here in the bread and cup. Before we talk about all the beautiful ways the Spirit wants to manifest in our church for the sake of love next week, we are coming to the table and inviting Jesus to rebuild our view of God. That's the invitation today. Let's invite the Holy Spirit now. Heavenly Father, who sent Jesus to send the Spirit, Lord, we acknowledge you here, your presence, and you desire our attention and affection. You desire us. You make yourself available to us. And right now in the middle of the promenade of Liberty Station, even if we're distracted, we realize that your undivided attention rests on us. Even if we don't know where we stand on spiritual gifts and whether or not tongues is a thing or whatever, like, Lord, you're dead set on us. You love us. You're committed to our maturity and our unity. And that's where we want to start. Whatever can be experienced of the Spirit, we want to experience. But first, we want to know you as a loving God who gave himself on the cross for the world that you love. So we want to know ourselves as loved also. So as we come to the table, reveal our loved status as children of God.